Hey everybody, Michael Davis here and welcome to Bone to Pick. I'm really excited today to be sitting down with our, our first husband and wife team on our Bone to Pick series. Um, and in addition to being husband and wife, they are immensely talented musicians and uh, extremely successful in the music industry here in New York and, and internationally as well. Uh, Kiku Collins hails from New Jersey, uh, attended Interlochen as well as the Manhattan School of Music. Uh, most of us know her from her performances with uh, acts like Beyonce, uh, Michael Bolton, Gloria Gaynor, uh, Train, just to name a few. Uh, she has appeared at the White House twice uh, with uh, President Barack Obama. There's a really cool photo of her with, behind Obama on her website. You should check that out. Uh, she has numerous television appearances uh, as both a trumpet artist but also as an actress. Um, she has starred in two off-Broadway roles um, as an actress, uh, also extensive work, like I said, on TV shows and TV commercials as well, works as a model. She has an incredibly inspiring story about uh, her bout with cancer and overcoming it, and um, really looking forward to having you hear this story because it's, it's a remarkable story and, and, uh, and really inspiring. Um, on top of all that, she's also an ordained minister. So keep, keep that in mind for your wedding plans coming up. David Gibson, uh, we've been friends for many, many years now. He hails from uh, the great state of Oklahoma, which is where my late grandfather was from. So I've always had a soft spot for Oklahomans. Right uh, he is active, extremely active on the New York music scene uh, as a trombonist, also as a composer, an arranger, an educator, music director, and band leader. Uh, received his master's degree from the Eastman School of Music. Uh, he was a finalist in the 2003 Thelonious Monk Jazz Trombone Competition, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but an incredible uh, list of finalists that were in, uh, in that particular year. It was really amazing. He's gone on to perform and record with a myriad of jazz artists, including John Faddis, Roy Hargrove, Jimmy Heath, James Moody, just to name a few. Uh, he has seven recordings as a solo artist. Um, his groups perform regularly in New York at Smalls, Dizzy, Smoke, Fat Cat. He is a passionate educator and clinician. Uh, he's also on the faculty at Columbia and New School. Uh, without further ado, uh, a big thank you to uh, both you guys for coming all the way up to yeah. New City here. I know it's a long <laughs> trip from Chelsea, but uh, it felt pretty good. But th thank you so much for uh, for being here and uh, yeah. spending some time talking about your guys' extraordinary careers. Let's jump in. Let's go back to the beginning and not maybe not all the way to the beginning, but as far as back as you want. Five and a half. Five and a half. Well, Keith, why don't you lead us off and just tell us a little bit about your upbringing and what you, how you got into music and what drew you to the trumpet and all those kind of things. Okay. Well, um, about five and a half years old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually, I grew up in the woods, basically, um, of New Jersey. And um, I, I, I was a terrible piano player as a kid. Um, I sang in the church choir. I played the bells in the choir. You know, all these kind of odd little activities that taught me to read music. Um, but mostly, as a youngster, I was a gymnast. Hmm. Um, but when I hit the fourth grade, uh, it was a requirement to take band for a year. And so they would they would they gave us all of this this written test which i thought was odd but whatever and so it turned out i knew a lot more than i thought i knew about reading music and i got a very high score um and so i got to pick you know maybe first i, I think i was first and uh 
so I picked trumpet and the teacher said, well, no, um, you know, <laughs> don't you want to play like flute, <laughs> clarinet, something. And I did. Uh, but I said, you know, um, I was told that I have to play the trumpet because we have one. And <laughs> my brother was in that school and he's two years older than me. And so I pointed at the wall and there was his trumpet. I said, that's what I'm going to be using. <laughs> so they had no choice. Um, and uh, it, it kind of went from me being a little bit bitter about the fact that, you know, all the girls were playing these cute little girly instruments. <laughs> to me trying to prove a point mm -hmm. um because i was told i i couldn't do this thing and uh so it just it just kind of took off really quickly i don't know mm. i don't know what some some magic spark and i really <laughs> i really think that a lot of it was was saying well you said i can't do this so i'm gonna do it mm -hmm. <laughs> probably uh it's carried through uh, later in life as well with all, yeah. the, all the things you've accomplished yes. that are traditionally not uh, attainable. Mm -hmm. yep. David, how about yourself growing up in Oklahoma and uh, what was that What was well, that like? You know, I actually settled in Oklahoma maybe when I was about 11 or 12, okay. but we moved around a lot prior to that. So the immediate locale before that was in Minnesota. Hmm. And when I was in fifth grade, uh, they did something similar where we took the test. I mean, I think that's probably standard protocol in elementary education, I would guess. But anyway, I was told that I should play the trombone. And uh, my teacher went so far as to explain to me that I had the lips for it, which <laughs> probably meant I need trombone players. <laughs> and so... Uh, he lived right around the corner from us, so I used to go to his his house and take lessons in his basement. And, uh, you know, they were 15-minute lessons at first and then 30-minute lessons, and I, I got into it. I really got into it. And my mom had an aptitude for music and an interest in music, so there was always music in our home. Mm -hmm. You know, the beginning of the whole Columbia Records and Tapes Club, and right. so, you know, like, I... Man, we had all these Miles Davis records and Count Basie and Buddy Rich and uh, Nancy Wilson. And, you know, we just had tons of great records, in addition to uh, Earth, Wind and Fire and uh, Chaka Khan and Rufus and, you know, like a lot yeah. of really good music in, in our home. So I started trying to figure out how to do that on the trombone when I was in like fifth and sixth grade. And then when we moved to Oklahoma... In seventh grade, that's when they started band where I went to school. So I went from having two years experience and being challenged to being in a situation where everyone was just starting out. Mm -hmm. And uh, within the next two years, I, I decided I wanted to quit. And then after my eighth grade year, I uh, the jazz ensemble director at the high school called my family and asked them if I could be a part of the jazz ensemble at the high school the next year because they needed trombone players, you know, typical. And I said, uh, I don't want to do this thing anymore. I'm not interested in this. And they said, just, can you just come to one? We're doing these summer rehearsals. Can you just come to one? So I came to one and I said, holy shit. <laughs> This, I didn't realize the the program was like a top-ranking program in the state for jazz in this tiny town of Yukon, Oklahoma, you know, where the, I mean, at the time it was like, it was Walmart and then houses, you know, mm -hmm. it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't a lot there. 
So to have that experience and walk in and be playing professional level music with a bunch of high school kids, I got my ass kicked. <laughs> so I, I, that was when I got interested. Wow, yeah. very cool. Um, so maybe talk a little bit about your, your guys' uh, college experiences and also your experience at, uh, at Interlock and Kiko. Mm -hmm. uh, sounded like you had a really great experience there just from what I read. and. and uh, interested to see what the, those yeah. memories are like for you. Yeah, Interlochen was definitely a highlight. Um, and I find that most most of the alumni say the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's it's a great place. It's it's you know, you know, coming from such a tiny little place, um, it was at first terrifying to realize that I was really mediocre. <laughs> instead of you know doing you know playing principal in all state blah 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 i mean i was nothing when i got there it was it was kind of like okay this this is some sort of a reality check so mm -hmm. i need to figure out if i'm ready for this for the rest of my life um and it was really good for that um yeah i mean it 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 definitely it definitely made me kind of think about whether or not this was a life I wanted. Mm -hmm. But at that point, you know, I mean, I felt like this is all I can do at this point. <laughs> this is it. And you know how it is. It's like when you're a kid, you're practicing, practicing. I mean, I don't, I don't, I never saw the lunchroom in my high school in New Jersey because every day I would bring something to eat and I would sit in a practice room and I'd be playing etudes and I would take a bite of something and, and keep practicing and, um, and it was just, it was just, this is, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't like I was like, oh, well, do I want to do this or that or this or that? I think, I think, you know, musicians, when you, after you've played for a certain number of years, you really kind of know, you know, well, would I rather do something else? Cause you know, cause then this takes a back seat or do I want to continue to be this, OCD musician who, you know, stops to take a bite of food and then keeps practicing. I mean, you know, you, you, not to interrupt you, but you had a lot going on in your life then, too. Yeah. And that was I think that was also coloring a lot of your decisions, wasn't it? Yeah. Or, I mean, I'm like, who's interviewing me? <laughs> no, no, but I, I, no, it's very, very much a conversation. So yeah. feel free anytime. And I think that's, I think that's something that would offer a little bit of context to where you were in your life then, unless, unless you don't. But, I mean, your mom, your mom was ill. Yeah, she was sick. She well, she was, was sick for ten years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so, and she, and when, when she passed, you were going deep into that, and then, but then you lost your mojo. Oh, yeah, yeah. I quit playing mm -hmm. for five years. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I saw that you, after, then that was after Manhattan School of Music? Yeah. You quit yeah. playing for five years after that. Yeah, and it was just, I just, I just felt like I was lost. Hmm. And I well, was. <laughs> clearly, you uh, you found the path back. That's that's for certain. Yeah, but yeah. how did you do that? Because that was, I find that to be one of the most fascinating parts of your story. Well, because it was presented as a hobby. So I was, you know, I was dabbling in different things. I'd done a little bit of modeling here and there, um, temping, uh, just, you know, waiting tables. And so... Health food store. Yeah, I was waiting tables. Actually, this is when I waited tables at Uno's. Hot coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I learned 
that uh, spinocles don't sit well with me and then <laughs> kind of blew up a little bit yeah. but you know a few of the guys that were waiting tables with me um they said hey you know we we heard that you you know you play some sort of a horn i was like well i did and they said well we're putting together a funk band like, <laughs> okay that's fun for you um but they asked if i would you know, want to play? I said, well, I don't know if I can. Was that the hockey jersey dudes? No, that was next. That was, oh. that was separate. I, I've been in a hockey lot of jersey strange... dudes. That sounds intriguing. I was, <laughs> I was a figure skating horn, thank you. But it was, but it was, you it was guys a hockey did band. ES, but you did like an ESPN2 show or oh, something. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We played it at Madison Square Garden. I mean, wow. it's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, so this little funk band got me out of my funk, I wow. guess. Wow, that's cool. You know? That's a great story. Thanks, David, yeah. for uh, I know. Well, I it, it, would, it would make a little richer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> David, how about that? We were talking a little bit about Eastman, but I know that's where I became aware of you for the first time was when you were working on your master's at Eastman and yeah. that experience and others. It, well, you know, I went, I went to college at the University of Central Oklahoma right out of high school. And they had recruited me because similar to my uh, University of Central Oklahoma at the time was called Central State University. Okay. The name changed maybe a year or two after I started attending. And they had the premier jazz program in the state. And when I say jazz program, I mean big band. Mm -hmm. It was more about an right. ensemble situation. It, it wasn't um, a big jazz theory school or a jazz writing school. Okay. But when I was coming out of high school, I decided that I was interested in writing. And so I just started, I, senior year in high school, I said, I'm going to write something. So I started off writing like trombone quartets and then started writing for big band. And my senior year, we played one of my charts on the concert and it was ridiculous. I didn't have any clue what I was doing. <laughs> but then I went to school, uh, to college, and my freshman year in college, I overlapped with a saxophonist named Vince Norman, who you may know that name. Mm -hmm. And Vince, uh, later, he went and became the arranger staff arranger for the jazz ambassadors but he laid ray wright's book on me mm. and talked me through it and i would go to his house and hang out and so uh that was really how i started writing and writing is what got me to eastman uh i mean certainly i think bill dobbins you know wanted to have another trombonist in the program but i think what got me in is submitting my scores and i was Fred Sturm's TA for uh, the two years that I was there. Oh, nice. yeah. And uh, yeah, so, so um, I mean, we all know Rochester winters really suck. Uh, <laughs> I mean, seeing two feet of snow on the ground in October was a little bit of a, you know, that was uh, discouraging to say the least. <laughs> Don't get me started, Dave. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm from California. Let's not, let's was, not, I'm it, still trying to get over that. I'm first looking year. outside and seeing the snow out here, and I'm like, oh, man, we don't have that. Right, right. This is, this is wild. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but, but so uh, I think that I really got passionate about being a writer, and I never trusted myself because I taught myself everything. So when I got to Eastman, it was an opportunity like i was the ta but i was auditing the class that i was the ta for basically you know mm -hmm. like i i had um i had i was able to uh create something that was competent but i had no idea what i was doing so to go there and kind of learn the the nomenclature and vernacular and 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 to have 
a sense of a direction to what techniques are that was very helpful and uh so that's really i think that was the bulk of what i got out of my eastman experience other than just being in rochester and playing music with with reggae bands and salsa bands and rock bands and and being able to really um dip my toe in the water in a lot of different highly competent situations that mm -hmm. was very helpful mm. yeah very cool um let's talk a little bit about your guys early experiences in new york and I think I can remember, even as old as I am, I can remember back when the, the terror that I had when I first got to New York and just like, how is this possibly going to work? Yeah, you know? right, right. But, um, but anyway, everybody has their own path and then we all get to where we're going. But uh, um, I was specifically kind of interested in influences that people had on you who might have helped you, memorable gigs that you felt like, uh, sounds like your funk band, like, pulled you out of that and, yeah. and, and drew you to, to being a professional in New York. But anything about those those early years as being a, as a professional musician in New York that strike you? How about how about when your mom came to visit you? And she... Oh, God. <laughs> that was my were... first apartment in Washington Heights. My mom drove in. Um, and so Wait, I thought know. she took the bus. No, no, no. She, she drove. drove. Oh, yeah, okay. she drove. And um, and so she comes up to the apartment, you know, it's a typical Washington Heights apartment. It was huge, you know, and we had three <laughs> musicians living there. It was, it was like crazy how big it was. I, of course, had basically a, a converted closet as a room because it was so cheap. Junior. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and she goes, so um, I think I just saw, I think I just walked by and saw a homeless couple having sex in the, in the bus station because she, you know, parked a car and walked by and she's like, yeah and i was that I sounds was, right yeah yeah, yeah. And I, and I was amazed that she didn't say okay pack your stuff we're going home you yeah, know right, right, she was right. like oh, enjoy your life here in new york you know <laughs> like that's what it is yeah wow that's uh that is it yeah. that pretty some that sums up the the beginnings of new york for yeah. everybody as well as you can yeah but you know totally. you, you grew up in jersey and so it, it, well we used to come into the city yeah and i knew like i knew i wanted to live here i mm. hated growing up in jersey oh really okay um but we were also really poor mm. so it's not like i had a nice house or nice things or mm. you know um but every time i came to the city um, I don't know. I just, I liked, I liked being surrounded by people. Cause first of all, I, I still have this thing where when we're kind of in the middle of nowhere, I, my brain starts thinking there are wild animals and serial killers. Yeah, right. <laughs> and this is me on the road. I'm like, you guys better put your dressers in front of the doors tonight. This yeah. town is a little too sleepy for yeah, me. Like, every time I play a gig somewhere and then I, and I'll send her a picture. Oh, look at this. It's beautiful. We're out in the wilderness. And she was like, they'll never hear you scream out there. <laughs> it's true though, right? Not to be alarming, but if you look out, if you see, we do have a lot of wild animals that walk through here, but yeah. you're yeah. safe on the serial killer. Front. Right, yeah. right, so right. Okay, okay. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Excellent news. Yeah, but you know, statistics. Maybe you just don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I just knew every time we came in, and of course, you know, New York was not a friendly place um, in the seventies and even in the eighties. For sure. But yeah. boy, you know, I just, I loved the energy. I, I learned, you know, what what weed smelled like really young. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was like. What is that? My mom's like, <laughs> you know, and you'd walk by, you know, junkies and stuff, and I just felt so 
I just felt like I could really make a home here, mm -hmm. or, you know, in New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I just, I don't know. Yeah, just, no, the, I mean, there's no question that the, in me. the energy uh, outweighs the other stuff most oh, of the time. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, definitely. How about for you, David? I, uh, I never thought I would be able to move to New York as a kid. And then Clark Terry used to do a summer program at my college in Oklahoma. And, you know, so I got to know the cats and, and his band because they would come. Mm -hmm. And I was, I had done an Abersold camp and I got on my flight back to go to Oklahoma to do Clark's camp where I was, you know, since I was a student, I was also a counselor working my way through the camp. So I get on my, I get on my, my flight home and I'm in a middle seat because, you know, we'd save money on that ticket. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> This guy gets in my row and he's sitting in the window seat. So I have to get up, and let him in the window seat. And I said, excuse me, uh, are you Marcus McLaren? And he goes like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and so he talked to me the entire trip and told me about how much money he saved before he came to New York and that, um, how he was encouraged to make the move and it and it softened me up a little bit on it but huh. then i went to eastman after that and uh -huh. and still waited until i moved but when i got to town i had uh been working in the rochester area uh with a tremonist named john hasselback mm -hmm. sure and john and steve davis were roommates i believe at at heart when jackie mclean was running the program so he said, here's Steve's number, call him when you get to town, he'll tell you what to do. So I called Steve and Steve said he was at the time on the road with Chick and he gave me Tony Cadlick's number and he said, <laughs> excellent uh, choice. Yeah. Right? <laughs> he said, this is Tony Cadlick, Tony, uh, he and I know each other from, you know, our high school days or right. something. Yeah. So. So call him, he'll, he'll know what to do. And Tony gave me like 30 names and numbers and said, call all these people, tell them you're new in town and you want to do a rehearsal or watch a book or whatever. And so I did. And I think the first place I went uh, was to the union and, um, oh my gosh, I'm trying to, I'm blanking on whose big band it was. Oh man, come on, trombonist. I'm I'm just totally blanking right now. He's on that record, Sophisticated Giant, with uh, the little big band with Slide and Dex. Uh, you know, man, come on, writer. I, I'm totally blanking right now. Anyway, we'll he, think of it. Yeah, we'll think of it. Uh, so he he uh, sees me sitting out there, and very you know I have my horn. It's very kind, and then. There was a trumpet player who didn't show up, and he says, "Like, oh, well, you could come up and read the fourth trumpet book." I was like, "Yeah, why do I do that?" So I get set up. I'm going to read the fourth trumpet book. In walks Andy Gravish. Okay. Sorry, I'm late, cats. <laughs> so, uh, so now you know. Now I'm like, okay, well, take the horn apart, you know. <laughs> and so he says, "No, no, no, come on up front. You're going to play my part on this." And I played a feature with the band, and then I went. And oh sat man. Down. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was very sweet. Yeah. And, you know, I met a lot of people like that. And I mean, it's it's a very different environment than I find myself in now. But boy, that was really helpful to and then just go into sessions. Mm -hmm. You know, he told me to 
go to Cleopatra's Needle. That's what Steve told me. He says, my man John Farnsworth runs a session there. Joe Farnsworth is there. And, mm-hmm. you know, go go and introduce yourself to them. So I did. And then that's how I met a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Oh, that's a cool story. Yeah, yeah, and for all the rap that New Yorkers get, I think there's a lot of kindness there that uh, oh, yeah. comes out, you know, oh, at, yeah. at, at good times like that. It's very cool. Yeah. Um, kind of moving forward now, uh, I want to talk about you guys, uh, what I consider to be the incredible range of versatility in both of your guys' careers. And it was really enjoyable researching uh, and looking at, at, at all the things that you guys have accomplished and done. Uh, in preparation of this interview, but um, I, it seems to me you guys have both figured out the blueprint of being a modern musician and a modern for you, especially Kiko, a modern artist. You're much you're more than a musician. Um, but maybe, maybe uh, I guess the question I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask it, but I guess really what I'm asking is, was that part of your plan all along? And and also, how do you do? That? How do you look at it in terms of? Well, I'm gonna today. I'm an actress. Tomorrow, I'm a trumpet player. And and you know, we, we, you can address the ordained minister part if you like. <laughs> but I mean, I'm really I'm really talking more about being as being a trumpet player, an actress, dancer, all the different hats that you end up wearing. And and I'll have the same thing for you, David, in a, a slightly different. Uh, the dancer yeah. answer will be different from you. <laughs> Very. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I think of anything as you know being separate okay um you know i mean the reason i had to learn how to dance was getting the beyonce gig um and you know i was terrified and i was crying in my hotel room and i slept like 30 minutes every night because i was just (laughs) like i need to figure this out and i can't play and move and i can't even dance how am i gonna play It, it was it was terrifying it was a week of that of me fighting myself um but you're good at it though yeah, I mean, I figured it out because I had to. I mean, and, and you know, I came home from that first job, and that was the BET Awards. And I thought, I can't accept this gig. I'm going to tell them that, that that was it. Thanks for the memories, you know. <laughs> I'm going back to whatever I do. Um, but then I, I just I just thought, well, but this is, a, this is a big chance that, you know, I mean, I, you know, I was... I guess kind of over the hill to be starting a career like that. Um, but I also felt like I was in a, in a, well, first of all, I mean, I had a child <laughs> to support, um, and not a lot to support her with. And that was also a part of the, the, the dynamic with that gig was the, how much you were away as well. Oh yeah. What, yeah, just for context, what, what year was this that you started with Beyonce? 2006. Okay. Yeah. So she was, t- my first my first um gig with beyonce i flew to la on the day of her preschool graduation so i went to her graduation (laughs) i went there with this i didn't know thank you just helping excellent point um but i didn't know how to pack back then so i mean i had this i don't know what the heck i brought because I bear, I almost never check a bag now, and mm-hmm. of course I'm carrying my horn, so there's not much I can bring. Um, but I had this huge suitcase, um, you know, and I and I dragged it to her, her, um, you know, graduation, and I was so proud, and I'm crying, and then I'm like in a cab on onto the airport because I need to work because mm-hmm. I need to pay, you know, I have to, you know, I'm a homeowner, I'm a, yeah. you're I'm better a parent. now though. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so I, basically I had to, I had to learn how to dance and I really, for some reason, and probably because I didn't keep up with a lot of pop music, um, I, it didn't occur to me that I would have to move. Mm -hmm. And I was so used to being in a booth. I was so used to recording for so many years. And, you know, you could roll, you didn't have to brush your hair. It didn't, like, nothing mattered as long as you could play the part. And so, yeah, that was kind of a big shock to me. And, uh, you know, I was busy. I was recording the first album. And I, I was just like, ah, oh, I guess I'll go do this gig because, you know, they, they, they want me for it. And, but you know. what about the hanging upside down thing? That's a separate that issue. How'd that even happen? <laughs> wow, we're jumping the timeline. <laughs> oh, this I didn't was... know. I thought that was around the oh, same no, time. Oh, no, actually, well, it wasn't during. Yeah. It was after I left the gig, because basically... This you... is perfect. This husband and wife uh, thing. Is it, though? I love it. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we've been missing on Bone to Pick. This yeah. is finally, we yeah. got Right, only couples from now on. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do so... the newlywed game. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, so so one day, you know, the, the tour manager, I think, came in and he said, okay, you're not going to be home for 10 months. It's like, wow. that's not going to okay. include me. I, I can't, you know, there was, it was impossible. It was, it was really, it was really hard to juggle everything as it was. Mm -hmm. um, and we were rehearsing down the street from my apartment, so that was very helpful. You know, I, I found local, you know, a local woman to watch my daughter and, you know, so sort of like a part-time flexible nanny situation because what else could i do mm -hmm. um but yeah once once that hit i was like i gotta go mm. so i mean we left you know it was great terms i worked with her since then um several times yeah yeah <laughs> well, so the old he's like my fact checker <laughs> you know so i mean so a lot of it has come from just necessities of mother invention. You just every you know, time. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh right. my gosh. Well, right. So then, you know, I do some things as a band leader. Not my favorite thing. Mm. Okay. I don't, I don't like being in charge like that. I mean, I like being charged sometimes, but boy, when when I'm on stage, I just she does want like to being play. In charge sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, I just happy, want to happy wife, happy life. You know what they say. Yeah. I have no complaints, but she definitely knows how to be in charge. Yeah, I guess so. And I, I like it. That's good. Go okay. ahead. Remember that. So, so you know, I'm doing some things as a band leader. I mean, it worked fine, but it it didn't make me happy. Um, and then I got a call from Michael Bolton, and I'm saying, well, you know, I'm, I I kind of have a little PTSD from juggling my life for so long my daughter and i was just like i'm just getting back into a rhythm with her um and i said well you know just i guess send me the contract and i'll look at it and they said we don't have a contract hmm. it's like you don't have a what do you mean they said well we call you for gigs and then you come or you don't you know and if if you keep showing up i mean obviously you know you'll have priority but if you don't take a gig and someone else takes the gig and and it works out with them you know that's on that's 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 your choice but mm -hmm. it might go away like that and mm -hmm. you know so i was like all right i guess i guess you know the first thing was like two weeks i said okay i can do that so i go for two you know i i, I get on the plane i don't even know where the heck we were and um so i get there and 
I'm thinking, okay, cool. You know, there's actual music this time. There wasn't music on the Beyonce gig. You had to learn everything just mm -hmm. by listening. And, uh, and we actually had our books on stage. And at some point, I remember saying, no, I don't need to stand anymore. And they actually had me put a stand there because it looked weird that I didn't <laughs> yeah, have music. Yeah. You know, I was like, but I don't want to look at my charts anymore. It's distracting me. Um, so I get there and it's cool, you know, sound check, whatever. Yeah, let's run over some tough spots here. There's a change here, blah, blah, blah. And then I find out I'm like, oh, you're singing backup too. I was like, well, okay, that's fun. So <laughs> I'm like scrambling to learn all of these lyrics. Um, and how to sing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I had dabbled in it, but it was very different because I'm like, but people are listening to me now. This is right, different, right. you know. Um, and then, oh, we have these moves. I was like, <laughs> all right, I can dance, but this is a lot. And I just flew in today and the gig is tonight, like in, in two hours, and we still have to eat dinner and get ready. And so... I mean, the, you know, the horn section, Jesse was, she was great. We're still friends. We still work together once in a while. So we're sitting there at dinner and I'm writing notes in my, in my, because of course it was paperback. Then I had a binder and I'm writing all these notes. And I literally was just like reading the music, reading the lyrics, uh, reading my weird dance cues that I had somehow illustrated in my book. Her, 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 her crib notes. <laughs> hilarious are really great yeah. <laughs> yeah there should be like just a like a it looks like a doodle book yeah. <laughs> it doesn't actually look like anything that you would know what the hell it was right and that's why my gigs are safe because yeah. <laughs> oh here's my book what, what is the smiley face with the wing <laughs> Nice it's like you can you know. write it on the inside of your hand. And I've like, done that. I've done like an entire an, an entire night of, of music with, with some one-off band um, on one piece of paper. <laughs> like color-coded. I love it. Yeah. Whatever it takes. You got to get a system together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've done it so many times. But yeah, so I had to learn how to do all that stuff. And I remember, you know, the two weeks was done and I thought, well, everyone seems happy with me, but I don't know if they're ever going to call me. And I just kept getting called. And I think that went on for like four years, five wow. years. I don't even remember now. It's all a blur. Nice. Well, so, good gig. But, and, you know, uh, you, you get forced into these things. It, it's it, it's not surprising, but it sounds like you pick things up extremely fast. And you're yeah, that, yeah. And to me, that's always been the uh, the I don't know uh, part of the equation. Yeah, well, I think it's more of a neuroticism. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's it's not like I look at something like, OK, I got this. Right. No, it's like, OK, keep keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep listening to the same yeah. thing over and over and over. Well, you and know over. how to practice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, you know. Good stuff, and kind of a lot of good advice in there uh, at, the, at the same time. David, for yourself, um, different parameters, but same idea. You know, you, you talked about the trombone, and then you talked about right. your, your interest and passion for writing and arranging. Right, right. But also, band leading uh, has become an important part of your career and yeah. you know, what people associate with. How, how do well, you look at it? You know, I... Uh, I'm trying to remember what year it was. I can't remember, but I started. I started out subbing with this little big band called the George G Swing Orchestra, and I became friendly with the vocalist in the band, who's a remarkable person, uh, really interesting, um, 
eclectic interests and good at everything he does, mm -hmm. you know, because okay. once again, he knows how to practice. <laughs> and so, you know, we hit it off and he asked me if I would write some charts for him for the band. So I did. And one thing led to another. And um, eventually there was an opening in, in the, the musical director position for the band. And George said, would you want to do this? I said, really? I mean, no, okay. Because what I saw was, man, this is a really uh, familial environment. It's a band that swings hard and plays the blues. And uh, there were certain people who were in mentorship roles in my life that were in that band. It was just such a welcome opportunity to learn mm -hmm. and so i learned how to write a lot better because i was i just i started trying to write a feature for every person in the band and as i started doing that stuff it taught me a lot about um the dynamics of a culture and and i didn't trust myself at the time but i started reading a lot and i'm very fascinated by the group dynamic when it's successful mm -hmm. and what that is. Yeah. And so as I started digging a little bit deeper into the gig and learning more, I started realizing uh, how to create that environment and how to treat people. And I've hopefully gotten a lot better at that. And so, um, uh, I, I just have become even more infatuated with the idea of writing and trying to, I guess, figure out what I have to offer a situation that, that I feel like I can do something that can add to what's going on. Um, whereas I think when I was younger, I was trying to, uh, take, I was trying to, um, do something that would be impressive mm -hmm. rather than doing something that would add to the situation. Not always the same thing, you know, cause sure. a lot of times, cause like, uh, the highlight reel is usually not the guy who set a pick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you yeah. Know? And so I decided to try and be more like that. And I really enjoyed the results, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so now when we were in lockdown, pr primarily like from about November of 2020, when it got cold again, and you couldn't really go outside anymore. We started doing, um, little Friday night hangs at our apartment and I taught myself how to tune our piano badly. <laughs> uh, Not so bad pretty bad there were some fun moments of frustration oh observe. goodness yeah, yeah. <laughs> me tuning a piano yeah. oh my goodness yeah so so but i had i had uh, a core of of musicians who were already kind of in my realm that i could call to to play gigs and i just started writing more music writing more music and trying to to offer something to our little family of musicians and then when things started breaking around in April and May, I just started asking for gigs. So now I have, you know, several venues that I can play with the band. Mm -hmm. And man, we have a lot of reps. The band mm -hmm. has a lot of reps. You know, it's a, it's all original music. And I can, I have 
kind of a repertoire of probably like 25 tunes that we are all original tunes that we can play different sets every time we play and everybody knows the music and i have maybe two or three people on each instrument that are part of the family that came over and hung out with us on friday nights and uh yeah so i mean that's been honestly that's i enjoy all of that and it's really about the sense of community and it's mm -hmm. about being um having uh, a purpose mm -hmm. like that first night that i played on memorial day weekend with our band and it was a friday night and it was like oh man here we are we're doing our friday night but now there's people here yeah. <laughs> and everybody was so amped for live music i mean sure. we've all seen it you know it's like i was like man and we're playing my original music and they're loving it, not because they know it, but because we're a band. I mean, that's like a totally different thing. It's not, nobody's up there going like, check out how I can make these changes. Listen to this, all oh, this little cute thing that I've been practicing for the last six months. Man, you're really gonna dig this. You know, it wasn't any of that. These people didn't give a shit about that. You know, it was just like, I just go up and I say, Hey, y'all, just so you understand right now, I know how many jazz fans do we have in here? You know, you go out and hear jazz all the time. It's like, you know, crowded room. But then I said, all right, well, let me just tell you this. Anybody watch basketball? Yeah, you watch it on TV? You've been to a game live? Which is better? Which is better? Mm -hmm. So you are on the sidelines at Madison Square Garden watching two really good teams play. And you're watching that level of improvisation and so hopefully you'll behave in the same manner you do at madison square garden <laughs> and and actually you know I, I think somebody told me that recently they were like dude you told the people to release the woos because <laughs> i'm like i'm like hey you know it feels good and and if you if you offer us a a, a view into something that you like you more than likely going to get another helping of the same thing and so man these shows have just been visceral mm. i i have thoroughly enjoyed leading a band not because i'm the best person but because i'm the one who who keeps the calendar and books the gigs and contracts the gigs and writes the music but once we get up there it's a band and mm. the, and the reflection from the crowd to me is is it's very nourishing wow you guys planning a live record perhaps at some point or man that would be a great idea but we're not <laughs> uh but we are we are we don't have a solid date we had a solid date and then and then the omicron dance moved through and we had to to not play that right and so uh you know just keeping everybody's schedules together has been a little bit rough to find a time to go back in the studio but we'll figure it out yeah, yeah. well i look forward to yeah. checking that out um, if we can just totally shift, if you don't mind, Kiku, your story is so inspiring uh, of what you went through. And, and I didn't know the full length of it till we till I started uh, looking into researching for this interview. As much as you feel comfortable and much as you'd like to share with us, I'd, I think it would be wonderful for our listeners to hear uh, what you had to go through and, what, and, the, and the amazing perseverance and, and inspiration that you give all of us for seeing what happened to you. You dig? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what I give to anybody, but... <laughs> I do. So I have um, been a breast cancer patient for 
Nine and a half years. Mm, yeah. 2012. Because I was diagnosed. It was August of 2012. Right after our wedding. Yeah. Um, and I, it's been really crazy. Um, you know, of course, when it when it first when it first started happening, um, we just got married, and uh, and I was heading out to do an acting slash playing gig out in um the Sag, hamptons sag harbor, sag harbor. okay so I yeah <laughs> i do <laughs> in the backyard reading books because i had nothing else to do um so so you know i mean most people think oh well well that's near manhattan but it's really not and yeah. there's one bus that yeah. you can take for hours and hours and hours i mean you feel like you're you know you're on a very uncomfortable plane this is my take on it yeah and so, so before, before I left, my doctor mentioned to me that I was a little bit, you know, I had to schedule my mammogram a little bit late, like by a week or two. I don't know. It was really close. And I said, okay, so, um, I'm doing this gig for like six weeks. So I'll, I'll deal with it when I get back home. And she said, well, no, you should probably just, just get in there now. Hmm. And of course, you know, whenever your doctor says, don't wait six weeks to do something you, your your brain starts to go and then you tell your brain to shut up but so i booked the i booked the appointment went you know had it done okay you know went out to sag harbor um and so basically every week during that time now and keep in mind that we had basically a broadway schedule so we only had one day off a week okay. um and i'm hours and hours away from home but every week they would call me and say, we need to run some more tests. I'm like, but I have one day off. You don't even know, like this is exhausting. So every week I would get back on that bus, come back to the city, go see another doctor, be like, you know, poked by a needle or, or run through some, you know, radioactive something or other. Um, and then by the time the gig was almost up, and of course, he was in Brazil for three weeks during that time. Was it three weeks? Something Maybe like that. Two, I don't two. know. But you know, this was back in the day where it still cost a fortune, or it was hard to get on Skype. And no, we were doing. It Skype. was not really though. But you were always in the lobby with your guys. Yeah. Well, I didn't have my own device. <laughs> yeah. Think. So, so he'd be, hey, how's it going? You know, I mean, yeah, what am I going to say? Talk, yeah. So I didn't tell him the extent of what was going yeah. on. Okay. I didn't find out until. Yeah. I got home. Yeah. So then. So then, you know, when I when I finally got the call, you know, after you were all out this there test, and I was home. You were home. Yeah. And I was in the gym because there was not much to do out there. So I would either be in the gym or at the gig or sitting in the backyard of this this little house that I was staying in mm -hmm. and reading a book. Um, so you know, I'm just I'm just sitting on a bike and I see my doctor's calling me. I thought, okay. I don't know. I mean, I guess I should pick up because I, I have no excuse. I have to pick up. I'm not doing anything. Yeah. You know? I'm bored out of my skull. So I pick up and she tells me, she's like, you have, you know, invasive ductal carcinoma. I was like, and I'm going, what the hell does that mean? You know, and it, and it started to dawn on me. And then, you know, and I hear her and she's like, are you okay? I was like, I gotta go click, you know, and I'm like, nah, you know, everything starts to, yeah. you know, and I'm like back in the, in the locker room and I'm like, you know, big sunglasses. And... Hey, can I just interject one thing, sweetheart? What? That this is the same cancer that your mom had. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's why her mom so, was sick for 10 you years. Right. You had lived it in a certain this, kind of way. Yes. Right. In She's now involved in the same story that she lived through on the other side. Right. Yeah. yeah. I just thought that was worth Yeah, thank you. Dave. Yeah. yeah, it's good. Good looking yeah. out. <laughs> Next time on Brass Cumbles. <laughs> so somehow I make it back to the house and I'm just like, a, a, I'm a mess. Um, and then I call him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I that's, remember. That's I, all that comes I out. I sprinted home. I remember because I just I sprinted home like I have to pack a bag and go to where she is. I got to figure this out. And I'm yelling at him, "Don't sub your gigs." Yeah, I sub my. That's gigs. what yeah. I can. I can get that out, but I can't yeah. say I have cancer. Oh no no! You I know? was subbing all my gigs. I was you like subbed, calling no, everybody. You didn't sub that night. You told me I couldn't. Yeah, I yeah. would divorce so you. So I came the next morning. Yeah, I told him. I, I said, didn't that's think I was it. We're be done. Able to get a, a bus that that night. Yeah, anyway. the buses were few and far there. between. Yeah, but I subbed. I subbed but I was just like, don't do this. There's enough bad crap going on. I don't. But need I you. brought a bunch of weed with me. So yes, we did. And I got it super high. <laughs> oh I my god! We were at this doctor's orders and so yeah, we were at this cast party and she was catatonic. I did not want to go to this party. I was like, I just want to go and feel. I was like, baby, we're going to the party. So we're like walking through, you know. It was very dark. It was wood, super you know? dark. Yeah, all the serial killers were out there, by the way. Yeah. And uh, and the wild animals that were gonna, you know, tear us apart. But yeah, so he gets me really high. We're at the cast party, and I'm sitting outside. It's basically me and the and the, the, the directors director. on one side. He's on the other side, and then you know people are everywhere, and I'm and sitting here. Yeah, yeah, you weren't doing too much. And I would try. I was trying to listen to what they they were talking. It was no, no, it was the best. It was the best way for you to be. And I was like, pretending like I, yeah, I'm yeah. like trying to, but I can't move. No, it, it, she's not. She's not. Um, she she's not good with that substance. But no. but <laughs> so <I'm> better. <laughs> yeah, but I mean practice. But yeah, yeah no, no. <laughs> but yeah, and I didn't realize that I was getting eaten alive by mosquitoes, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was just like. I just felt nothing. But I didn't want to set you off on that. Why don't you? Why don't you? Yeah, I don't remember. You, you derailed me. Yeah. What was when? So once you got through that uh, horrible, the thing, I can't imagine that that the and and plenty of people are are cameraman Kent's wife. I mean, yeah. yeah. Went through the right. same horror, and I, I have tremendous uh, compassion for anybody who goes through that. Um, so when you once you gathered yourself and started treatments what was what was that process how long did that last and you should tell him also the, the lead up to the, we were going to see the doctors mm -hmm. to talk about what was going to happen but mm -hmm. you, you oh had i had gigs so scheduled. much big stuff booked you mm -hmm. had one of those white house events no, no it wasn't it was white house kennedy yet center. yeah kennedy yeah. center mm -hmm. i had a, a bet thing that was right, being filmed right um, I was going to Brazil, right? I think I went to Brazil. Yeah, so... And it so, was all happening. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. I'm sitting there but it, it with it couldn't have been more surgeon. perfectly scheduled, no. to be honest. Well, I was terrified. It was like, we have to go, to, like, tomorrow, right? We have to get this thing out. What is it? You know, I had three right. tumors. Um, what was the doctor's name? What was Dr. his name? Dr. Mills. Mills. He passed Mills. away. He did. Mm. He, he was so, he was oh, so he great. Was, I used to... I used to well, I didn't call him to his face, but I did refer to him as my, my Wilford Brimley. Wilford Brimley, yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and, but you also got that graphic novel from Yes. Hendrick, and it's called Cancer My guitar Cancer player Vixen. sent me this book, and I was like, 
and it's a graphic novel about a woman's that, experience. That and looks her like Doctor Mills. Was, her, that is Doctor Mills. Yeah, it was him. <laughs> I called him on the phone. It was yeah. when you were. It was when you were uh, still recovering. Yeah. That was. Yep. Yep. Was that Hurricane? Yes. Sandy. Was that what I that think was? It was Sandy. Yeah, I was I was recovering during Sandy, mm -hmm. and so they had to close the hospital because of flooding. Right. So we had to go to a different hospital to yeah. meet with him so Amazing. that he could check check her out. Yeah, it was all it but, was all but crazy. But basically, you did all that work, and then yeah, I did tons then, of work. I had no time to think, and then watched the all these TV best. shows while she was had yeah. I'm like I got drains and, and drains like, on. I'm and a mess. Like, I can't oh, sit up on, on my TV. own. You know, and so people, you know, I'm getting texts and messages like, that's amazing. Have a great time. Yeah, like, I'm right. there. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was a month ago and I'm half dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but you were also very, uh, you were very close to the best about who knew oh, what was going God, on. Yeah, didn't because tell people anyone. are brutal. People are For brutal sure, right? and they'll say, oh, that's so terrible. And then they'll pick up the phone and call people to find out who books your seat and try to get that because they know that you're sick. Yeah. So I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell. I was work. I had just started playing with Gloria Gaynor. I will survive, ironically. I didn't tell them. I didn't know them well enough. I thought, oh, my God, they're going to replace me. I just, I just kind of got into this gig and you they did, loved me. You did post-surgery gigs with them. Yeah. Oh, I did. Mm. You oh, did holodelic post-surgery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What if, I don't mean to jump too far ahead, what was the situation that you experienced with your arm in terms of, of you, you, Oh, this you, thing? <laughs> <laughs> Lymphedemas. Um, so um, it's something that happens to a good percentage of breast cancer patients. Uh, and it's not talked about a lot. Um, doctors don't really seem to learn a lot about the lymph system. They spend like a couple of hours in, uh, in medical school um, on the lymph system, which is so important. But I had six nodes removed and they all had cancer in them. Um, and I had radiation. So my arm now, um, it... It's hard to explain. Like, like the lymph doesn't flow. Like, I, he pumps I, my lymph yeah. at night. Can I, can I, it's not some weird. Here's you know, here's how here's how thing. I understand it. Yeah. Okay. So so you have these hubs where you have patches of tons there, of lymph nodes, there, right? There. But the lymphatic system is yeah. running under the skin all through the entire body. But then you have these spots, like we know as kids, you know, if I have a strep throat, right. my lymph nodes get swollen. Get I can feel that, right? Right. So. Right. So the thing is, is these nodes, I look at them, the way I think of it is that they're like, um, it's like the exits on a highway system. So some people can have 10, 20 nodes removed and have no problem, but it's like closing the wrong exit on the highway. <laughs> if that exit is the wrong exit, then now you have a traffic jam. Up. And so the lymphatic system will start backing up and you, the arm will swell. Wow, okay. And you see, it, honestly, since you've been dealing with this, you see it I lot. see it all the time now. You see it in legs. And I see it undiagnosed uh -huh. in people. Yes. You a lot of times, they don't know. yeah, they don't know that that's what they have. Yeah. And so the compression helps a little bit, but, but it, I do. It, it doesn't reduce, but it helps to maintain. But I do, okay. I do uh, a manual lymph drainage that we learned at her uh, therapist's mm -hmm. office. Okay. Uh, and so I do, it starts with, um, you, you start, you massage here, and then you massage under the arm, 
and then you massage in the pelvic area, and then you start to move the so fluid manually down. Manually pumping the fluid it. Down. Wow, it's really and interesting. Then, and, and then, then you just... do the same thing here. You have to squeeze and then there. And it's and it's about it's not like rubbing. No, it's, it's more very like light. it's like a pump. You're just moving like a pump, and you're yeah. pumping the fluid away from the end of the extremity, and then you have to come to the yeah. fingers and do it's each not, finger. And that's why the gauntlet and some people wear a glove. Uh -huh. um, because it'll it'll pull in your hand. But we do we do hers almost every night. Yeah, I have a pump too, like an electric one. So hers but is this is better. Hers is totally manageable. Right, and I also work out issues. every day. That's a big big part of and it. And obviously, it's your left hand. That's yeah. the left hand you hold your trumpet yeah. and the arm that's that the supports it. Yeah. So how I know that that must have presented uh, yeah. challenges as well. Well, just I holding had, the horn. Yeah, I had these um these pipes. You know, Josh Landris. Sure. So he he made these pipes that would would uh, screw onto the bottom of my of my valves, and I would hold it with that so that you know we were trying to figure out a way that I could continue doing this because my arm would just start to throb after, you know, 10 minutes. Um, and so that helped a lot. And I used those for years. Since then, I've gotten away from them. Uh, my new horn's a little bit lighter. Um, but and you still practice. I do have... practice. I got one of those ergo brass things. Mm -hmm. um, so like, you know, in the studio, I mean, the little, the little stick hits the chair and I can do that and I can kind of like, you know, just, I mean, this, yeah. yeah so on the gigs you don't use them. On the gigs I don't. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, if the gig, you know, my gigs aren't like 20 hours like yours. Yeah. Maybe you're just playing like a 90 minute set. Right. But, yeah. you know, a lot of times I'll just hang my arm down or whatever. I always bring my, I didn't always used to bring my stand. Now I always bring it and mm -hmm. I set around. it down and I dance around and that yeah. pumps my limb. Um, so, you know, I mean, I mean, you figure it out. In necessity, she had to learn to dance to help with lymphedema. <laughs> <laughs> right. This all goes back to Beyonce. Like, <laughs> she taught me how to take care of yeah. my arm. <laughs> I just like to tidy up the circle. <laughs> and I did a lot of these claps with Michael Bolton. So, yeah. <laughs> so you're co well, you're coming up on 10 years then. So yeah, that, this has got to be kind of a good feeling. I mean, I guess, it, I mean it, looking it, back on it, it's yeah. kind of the same for yeah. me. It's, it's not that different from like, like definitely. a year in, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, and I, and I do, I do know a lot of people, um, that kind of lighten up on themselves as time goes on. Cause they think, Oh, well, I'm further away from, you know, that, that initial horrible thing. And I just want to kind of wipe it out. Kiku is not lightened up on herself. No. No, <laughs> I'm like every day something's changing with our diet. Hey, when I moved, when I moved in, when I moved in, Kiku was the first person I ever saw who had a soundproof booth in the apartment. It's in our living room. Yeah. All right. It's pretty wow. sweet. And <laughs> so she would get up at what six in the morning, five thirty in the I morning. I used to wake up early back then. Get up five thirty in the morning, wake Tani up for school. While Tani's getting ready for school, she's in the booth practicing. I'm wow. still like in. Brush your teeth. I'm still in bed <laughs> from getting home from my late gig, and I can hear her in there doing her her uh, Chickawitz studies, and you know I'm like, I suck. <laughs> I really, I'm the laziest person I've ever met. You know, so she definitely is always like cranking to try and lift lift the level up and learn more. 
definitely all. I'm also trying yeah. to not make a fool out of myself. <laughs> yeah, well, so you, you, you've, you've accomplished that. That's I know what about you're all that. You're <laughs> Depends on well, who you speak to. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. And I know uh, you probably have to share it a lot, but it's, uh, fine, but it's really it's inspiring, and it, it gives a lot uh, all of us, no matter what you're dealing with health wise, and when you go through something like that, and you've clearly come out the other side, an even stronger, better musician in person, and. Uh, so thank you. We appreciate you talking about that. I'll add just a, a little addendum to that because her experience was really uh, educational for me in a, in a particular way. I remember the night that I showed up to the gig where I was the MD and I left her at home. I had to help her drain the all the the tubes and mm -hmm. dump all the blood so and you know i don't know if anybody's ever done that did uh, we have to probably, measure it i don't remember but... <laughs> i think we have to measure it or something too. yeah you had to know how Report much back. How was in because <laughs> like, they, they were that? they looked like those little so those gross. little semi-transparent like bubbles you know uh, like an, almost an egg-shaped plastic and they were just bubble. hanging and they were hanging from these tubes that were so going inside right yeah. and so you have to unattach them dump the fluid out and and reattach them and so i'm doing that and i'm walking to the gigs so i'm leaving home i'm on the sidewalk walking to the train and i'm completely overwhelmed and thinking uh like should i be leaving should i be doing what i'm about to do and then i get to the gig and i'm the md Mm -hmm. And I'm still there in my mind. I'm still at that spot. And so here we are on the bandstand and I'm really distracted. Like, I don't deserve to enjoy this experience while she's at home. Mm -hmm. And so then the wheels started coming off on the band because everyone's keying off me now. Right. And so I just, I had this conversation with myself. That's your fault. You did that. You're making a mess here because you're not taking care of what people need from you here. And you can't do anything for her right now. Mm -hmm. You're not there. So I said, all right, from now on, I'm not doing that. Because what happened is after that experience, I go home with my battery lower when I could have walked home and had my battery charged mm -hmm. and shared the right. charge with her. Because I can't sit up on my own. But I didn't allow <laughs> you know, myself like, to enjoy yeah. and be to be invigorated and energized by that experience, which basically what this is why I moved to New York was to do this. And now I'm not letting myself do this. Mm -hmm. So I said, no, you're not doing that anymore because people depend on you and you you have money in the bank to share with her that she needs because mm -hmm. she can't do that for me. Mm -hmm. She can't make me feel better right now. So that was the big lesson that I learned from that whole experience. What a great lesson. And uh, what a great, uh, it's great for you to come to that realization. And, you know, I think it speaks to all of us as just being in the moment and uh, 
even when you're dealing with such adversity like that. Absolutely. Yeah. But being in the moment is, yes. I think that's not to put words in your mouth, but I think it's well, no, partially what you're absolutely, trying to say. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And I know, I know what you just said. I know it way better than I've ever known it as a result of this pandemic. Yeah. 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 yeah sure. Yeah. Sure. A lot of introspection. Well, we're on the other side of this pandemic, hopefully, and uh, yeah, things are looking so brighter. Too. What uh, What's on the horizon for you guys uh Project-wise, gig-wise, uh, I, I can, I can, I, I, I'm, I'm waiting for like the list to come out now. Yeah, um, I, I know you've got a million things going. There's on. a lot of pending dates <laughs> on the calendar. I don't, I try not to count them, but I do have a plane ticket for tomorrow, so I wow, guess that okay. works. Wow. <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, the boss lady, uh, Gloria Gaynor. I mean, wow, that woman is like really familial. I mean, yeah. it, it, it makes sense because she's still in the business of course mm -hmm. yeah so yeah. she's a real person yeah she creates an environment she has people who work for her that are long time people who work yeah. for her and she's a wonderful person and has everybody out to the house and mm -hmm. i'm sure you know you've been in environments like that and and so it's like yeah we're not meet, any different on the road you, yeah you, you meet someone who uh you heard about and then you hang out with them and you're like, oh, real person. Oh, wow. They're treating me like a real person. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, this is yeah. great. You know, so yeah. Gloria, yeah, I mean, she's come to our apartment. Yeah. We go out to dinner sometimes. We go to her house. Oh, nice. Yeah. And do a spa day with her, you know. Yeah. We do. And, you know, when we're on the road, she's always trying to, okay, do you want to go to the top of this volcano with me? Because because yeah. I can do we can do that. Like yes, I want to go to the top of the what volcano? I don't even know what city I'm in. Like yes, let's too. do it. She she has she utilized the pandemic and did a lot of positive work on yeah. herself. Uh huh. And it, it, but she's always been working on herself. Oh yeah, you yeah. Know? It's yeah. like it, it, it's really. But she went in. She went in. She really got herself in better shape. Yeah. Um, she's been, you know, taking, I mean, she always, you know, she takes lessons. Yeah. Still, she, wow. she practices every day. Yeah. She's, I saw, I saw, no not, too, not too long ago, I saw one of the weekend morning shows had a feature on her. And yeah. Really, really came across that way. She's, mm -hmm. she's yeah. very genuine. Yeah. Oh, very, so like, sweet. Giving. Yeah. She's hilarious, person, so. too. Yeah, she and, is. I, 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 she, my, 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 uh, <laughs> my alter ego after, um, after a few drinks is, uh, is Gibbo. <laughs> and and I know that when I reflect on my wife, that Gibbo is not allowed to come <laughs> to the party. <laughs> so when we're at Gloria's house, when we're at Gloria's house, I might have a couple of glasses of wine or something, but Gibbo's not invited, and I know it. Right? <laughs> Until the one time oh, when boy. Gibbo kind of started peeking his head out a little bit, and Gloria was laughing her ass off, and I was just like. <laughs> I think I yeah. think it's okay now. I remember that too when I see the two of them giggling oh, in the man. corner. I was like, I just immediately was like, guys, I'll be right back. I <laughs> what on, is going on I over here? I stopped on a gig. <laughs> I stopped on a gig and they had this this cramped dressing room for oh. the whole band, including Gloria. I mean, I was like, wow. So I just sat like like right here to Gloria and I just like I was just talking shit. And that was what was happening. And Kiko's on the other side of the room. She was like, <laughs> right stop <laughs> that's awesome well have a great gig where are you headed i'm tomorrow? going to kansas kansas all right and then you're going somewhere where else am I going? Too. oh oh north north carolina yeah 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 have good uh good travels of course Thank and uh, you. um as we kind of wind down a little bit um 
I always like to, and you guys are the perfect people to ask this to, but, uh, you know, there's this, I think, I think with the shift in the way the business has been in our careers, and we've seen yeah. a pretty seismic shift in, uh, yeah. and, and, opportunities for young musicians and it's still very i still believe it's entirely possible but it's just a very challenging uh road for young musicians i think yeah. uh, in all musicians and you guys have overcome obviously huge challenges and you've you know set the bar high in terms of inspiration and the quality of work that you both do um if you could pare it down like what do you what would you what would you offer as uh, the people who want to watching this and saying, I want to be the next Kiku Collins and the next David Gibson? Well, listen, skip the cancer. For those people, <laughs> Just, you don't need skip. that part. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 Kiko and I are very similar in a lot of ways. Uh, and that is a real problem. <laughs> um, but in terms of uh, a sense of an ethic, right? And one of the things that I love about our relationship is that she edits my emails and I edit her <laughs> it's emails. True. It's true. I'm talking about conflict resolution. Yeah. Emails. Not okay. all of them. Yeah. Not like, hey, yeah. I'll take the gig. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's <Not> fine. <laughs> but, but if there's an issue to resolve and I throw down my thoughts or she throws down her thoughts and the other will pull all the sharp teeth out and get to what's really being communicated and what's necessary and what's clear and and what's remove, helpful and remove all the the unskillful uh punitive mm -hmm. thoughts mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so i think that is a, a key thread i think to certainly why kiku is who she is because she's loved and respected and clearly yeah you 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 know i i talk with Oren evans about this a lot we're, we're like every musician should have to lead a gig if you don't if you haven't led one gig you have no idea That's what's true. going on on the other side so that said for young musicians when you how you communicate or when you communicate or when you respond it's like make it easy for someone to call you you know mm -hmm. when i was younger i i thought i need to be the right person for every job and as i've gotten older i've realized well that's making me try and be something that doesn't really I, i'm not saying don't practice skills that i don't have but why would i ignore the skills that i do have why wouldn't i want to be more invested in situations that allow me to use these things that yeah i, I can get better at it and i'm already i'm better at this than you know maybe somebody else or i'm a better fit than someone else so you know, I stop trying to think about why didn't I get that call and think, oh, well, I'm not right for the gig. You know, Benny Powell said to me years ago, hanging in his apartment, crying to him about uh, this breakup that I had and crying to him about how I got fired off of a gig. And he says, David, that's not for you. But there is something else that's for you and you can't see it because you're looking back here at that thing you lost mm. instead of out here to what's coming to you. And so just to kind of like 
what did somebody ask me one time? Uh, what am I supposed to do? And I said, stop giving a shit what I think you're supposed to do. <laughs> mm. well, that's that's, that's mm-hmm. a good thing to do. Because the, frankly, the thing when you move to New York or when, you know, it's like, if I had to live by what the 18 year old version of me thought was going to make me happy, Mm-mm. you know, you find out other things make you happy. So follow that thread. I mean, life is to be enjoyed. Eddie yep. Pizant, yep. life is to be enjoyed. Why, if we didn't know that now, you know, if we didn't know that now, what mm-hmm. the hell are we doing? Right, right. Well, you know, and it's like, I was just, I mentioned, I think this morning, you know, I mentioned some gigs that I had accepted and I was, I'm a little like, I don't know. Um, but I took them and I said, well, I can't be mad. I right. took them. Mm-hmm. I yeah, took I them. I yes. took them. I know everything that they could offer to tell me about the gigs, and I'm on them. Yeah, and show that's, up. That's me. So I'm gonna have a great time. I don't know who's gonna be there. I don't know what the situation is, but I could have said no. And if I had said no, I wouldn't. You know, but I yeah. said yes. So that was my decision. They didn't force me. Um, so when you take a gig, you have to make sure that you that you'll have a good time. Mm-hmm. You have to figure it out. If you realize, if you're just like, no, I'm just going to be miserable, then stay home. Well, then because you're, somebody you're else me. wants it. You're me when I showed up to the gig yeah. and I didn't want to have a good time because yeah. I didn't think I deserved it because mm-hmm. my wife was at home with drains. Yeah. But there's all sorts of uh, other ways that we do things like that. Like this gig doesn't pay enough. Yeah. So I'm going to treat like it that. shitty. Yeah. 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 Well, why would you do that? I'm going to wear my why worst, you, you know, or yeah. whatever. Why would you, you know? do a shitty job? You yeah. know, why do that? That's yeah. just so destructive and punitive and selfish. Right. Yeah. You know, you just you go in and do the best job that you can do. Right. If if you don't want to do the job, then don't do there it. There are anymore. people that really want and need that gig. So 100 percent. Yeah. You know, let them have it. I, I love that. And I, I say that often. It's like if, if once you say yes, you know, you can you can say, you know, if I call somebody for my band, they can say, mm-hmm. I hate your music. I am right. not yeah. going to ever play. Oh, great. Yeah. It's not, doesn't pay enough money yeah. for me. No problem. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, but once you say yes, you're uh, that's it. beautiful. Well, I'll you, tell you, you another say. thing. I'll tell you another thing. Sometimes I do get calls from people and they explain to me why they're not doing the gig. Mm. And I don't want to know. Yeah, that's true. That's too much information. <laughs> right. Do you right. know? Like, yeah, yeah. It's, there are all sorts of ways that people tell you something and I'm like, what am I doing with this information? Now I don't want to call you for anymore. anything. You're basically saying, <laughs> don't call me for this gig again. Yeah. And I, I'll oblige you, but you're kind of not saying that. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, right. You don't right. have to tell everybody. I remember Ray Ricker one time, man. He called me on the phone. I had done a show and there was some kind of issue in the pit the night before. And he called me on the phone the next day and he says, hey, Dave, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. what what happened last night? You know, was there something going on? And I very easily could have said, "Well, what do you mean?" And instead, he left like a few beats of silence, and I just went like, <laughs> <laughs> and I would have been much better. Just yeah. like, dude, just you don't even know what he's talking about. You think you know what he's talking about, but you don't know. And let, let, let him ask, let him drive a little bit and find out what he's trying to know. Yeah. Because yeah. then now I'm in the position where I'm telling him everything, trying to get to the thing yes. that he's looking for. 
and I'm telling him too much. You told him right. everything. Now yeah, I you're told, screwed. Yeah, I told him everything. <laughs> I, should have like, I didn't know about any of that. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I, I, I love the thing that, that Benny Powell told you. Like, oh, you know, yeah. the problem is you're looking back here instead yeah. of seeing what's in front yeah, of you. Yeah, man. You yeah. got to uh, look. If you mo if you go in this direction, it's best to be looking that direction. <laughs> and and the other thing is, is you don't have to take every single thing that comes to you. Right. I'm not saying that you that you want to say no, but you you should say no when it's not right. But when you say no, all you say is no, no yeah, thank you. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I can't make hope, that. Right. Hope, That's it. I you know I hope we can work together in the future, even if you don't like the person or you don't like the music or you don't like the situation or the money isn't good enough don't tell them any of that mm -hmm. just yeah. because yeah, you don't know. You, know you might actually grow up and you know and think oh i kind of want to try that now or or, or, or maybe they call you for a different gig yeah but you know i mean just just thank them and you know hope to see you next time yeah oh that's a great great advice yeah. the less uh, the less you give out the better you know yeah, yeah. totally guys this has been so awesome yeah, to, to, to uh, yeah. have you up here and uh, yeah. you guys have been uh, you know inspirations to all of us and uh, and this is really great just to sit down and talk about your extraordinary career and keep an eye these guys both have really cool websites and you can uh, <laughs> see what what they're up to both uh both the uh, solo and together, and uh, or you can just turn on the TV and see what Keeker's doing. <laughs> yeah, what was that show? Uh, oh, that Bowl. was so. There's this. There's this show called Bowl. Oh yeah, play, yeah, yeah. Play flugelhorn on the steps in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. like a hippie. Yeah. Like, like I said, just turn the TV yeah, on exactly and you right, keep trying to keep you. Well, listen, guys. Thanks again for coming up. Really, yeah, really appreciate it. Uh, I hope uh, all of you enjoyed this as much as I did. So, uh, so much great info we got today. So, hey, we, thanks for doing this. Yeah, yeah, it's, this is fun. My, my, have absolutely. All this, have all this information out. It's, it's my pleasure. Well, it's, yeah. it doesn't happen without you guys. So, uh, we, we, uh, we need the talent. As yeah, they say. Sure. but you're the band leader <laughs> at this point. <laughs> at any rate, thanks everybody for checking us out this time. We'll see you next time on Bone to Pick. I got a bone to pick with you. <laughs> <laughs>